You're listening to Potato Candy Network. Hello and welcome back to Blank Monster. I'm your lovely host, Marie, a.k.a. Queen in Yellow. In these episodes, I present to you two or three monsters from the Monster Manual that I think are underused or that could be used in different ways and give you a couple of scenario ideas for you to use in your games at home. This week, we are on to the letter C as we're working away from the beginning of the alphabet. Jumping into it from the Monster Manual, we are starting at the first monster in the chapter in the fifth edition Monster Manual book, the Cambion. The Cambion is interesting because it's essentially a tiefling, but not as watered down. Cambions are the offspring of a fiend and a human. Now, fiend in this context can, I think, mean either demon or devil. You could kind of mix it up as you wanted to. They have horns, they have wings, and they have uh, oftentimes a tail, as well as unnatural beauty. So again, a tiefling, but in a more pure form. They are also born to be bad. Because they are so close in bloodline to their fiendish parents, they often serve them either as generals or just as servants, hunters, whatever you want to give them a job title of. And they identify their rightful place as the overlord of the mere mortals on this plane. Now, I know there is some stereotyping that can go into the monsters, but I think it's interesting with this one because they're so close to their fiendish bloodline, they're not a tiefling that is removed several generations. They are the direct descendant of a demon lord, devil lord, whichever one you want to pick. So there's a lot of influence there. And that means they're probably going to be going to the abyss a couple of times and coming back to the mortal plane. So even if you don't want to play them off as they are inherently bad, there's definitely that direct influence that's going to affect them. In the Monster Manual, it does mention a specific demon lord, uh, Grast, G-A-R-Z apostrophe Z-T, who is very fond of procreating with humanoids who have made pacts with other fiends. So he has several Cambian children. Now, these Cambian children have a very specific look to them. They have charcoal black skin, cloven hooves, unearthly beauty again, and six-fingered hands. This is key because that is part of his description as a demon lord but also in the scenario ideas we have. So already there's a little bit of wiggle room with how they look. Depending upon their lineage, you could definitely mix and match how their appearance is. Some of the demon lords are described as just a sludge monster. So you could have a cambion that is literally just part ooze and just grotesque looking. Cambions also have a fiendish charm ability. This basically gives them a charm person that lasts for an entire day until that person takes harm or is given a suicidal command, they do not get to make a saving throw. So your Cambion NPC can walk into town, charm the town leader, and that leader will follow them for the day. And then the next day they just do it again. Do it again on someone else. So there's a lot of power already packed in this guy without going into any of his actual physical abilities. They are fairly powerful. They're a challenge rating of five, which... I know it doesn't mean much to some people, but put some, you know, mid-tier for adventure parties. So a couple of ideas for the Cambian NPCs. The first one is that your party receives news of a mysterious angel that's been visiting a local ruler. This could be a town that they are familiar with. It could just be a town they're traveling to or through. 
And at first people were thinking, oh, this is a good sign. It's a blessing. But now the ruler's whims have become more violent as this angel is revealing his true colors as a Cambian who has charmed the ruler and is basically taking over. Again, they see themselves as the rightful rulers of these mere mortals. So they're going to charm their way into getting that position. Your party can either discover the Cambian's true nature. They might think at first as a tiefling, realize it's not really a tiefling. It's something worse. They might actually even try to make a deal if they want to. Because again, Cambians serve their fiendish parents. That means if they want to make a deal for them, that's kind of some cool clout you can give them. So that is the first one. The second one is a social encounter a little bit. You have a tiefling in your party or a tiefling that is known by your party. um, If you don't have any tieflings in your party, make an NPC that you think they'll be close to. And this tiefling is visited by a cousin, a Cambian. And this Cambian has a favor to ask. It is trying to accomplish some task. Nothing detrimental. It's not trying to like enslave an entire town over here. But it's some minor task that might have morally questionable outcomes. Now, they say if you help them, you'll get some clout with their dad, who is your great-grandpappy somewhere in there. And also, he can reward you with something. I mean, again, he's a Cambian. He's technically a minor fiend. He can get you something that you might want. So your party can help out. They can decide no. This might even split the party a little bit if your rogue decides to go off on their own. Always an option. The last scenario idea, my personal favorite, and you'll know immediately where I'm stealing it from, You have finally found the six-fingered man who killed your father, and he needs to die. So you are going to take your party with you and hunt him down. Yes, I am directly stealing from Princess Bride here because as soon as I read a six-fingered Cambion because of Spawn of Grast, that was my first thought was um, Antonio Montoyo. Ah, can't say his name ever. But that was my first thought was just you have your fighter who immediately goes on a vengeance trick because it's like, oh, does he have six fingers? Yes. We need to kill him. He killed my father. And just go with it. Go as far as into the Princess Bride trope as you want to with that one because honestly, there's not that far you have to travel with it. Cambians are again, fiends. That means torture and experimentation of mortals is not that far off. So that's a great character to just fit in for a minor encounter if you want to connect it to a backstory. So that is it for the Cambion. Again, very fun. There's not a lot in other editions I was able to find, unfortunately. But again, he is a minor fiend, so you could definitely pull inspiration from any of the fiend folios in any of the editions. Next up, we have the Cole. And I'm saying that, or cool. C-H-U-U-L. It's either Cthulhu or it's Catholo, and there's a whole lot of enunciation issues with that. So... I'm just going to say coal because that's the easiest for me to remember. The coals are more crab people, ironically. If you listen to my first episode, I had the unk eggs, which are also crab lizard people. These guys are much more closer to crabs because they are aquatic in nature. So the coal are survivors of the Abloth Empire. Abloths in D&D are major antagonists if you ever run into them. And they are sentient and they travel the multiverse. So they are... Definitely easy to pop in and out of. And they created the coals for them as servants. They were not highly intelligent, but they were completely obedient to what they wanted to do. They could telepathically tell them what to do, and they would do it. The main task they were given is to protect our area 
kill adventures, and steal their loot for us. Now, the coals were designed, again, to be perfectly obedient, but also to just grow in size and strength. There was no end for them. They were supposed to be, in a sense, eternal. So they've been around for a long time. And even with the Aboleth Empire fallen, and the Aboleths are no longer really running around the mortal plane, they follow those commands in the absence of anything else to do, because again, not highly intelligent, and they still like to attack adventures and steal stuff. A really cool ability with them, because I've chosen some higher level monsters for this episode. They can sense magic up to 120 feet away mechanically meaning they can sense it quite a distance so your party cannot just sneak up on them because they sense magic at this point they are challenge rating four your party has at least one magic item on them somehow if they don't i'd be kind of shocked but they'll have at least one magic item which means as soon as you get close to these guys they sense it and they're coming for you if you turn invisible they'll sense it they're coming for you you really, really have to try to sneak past them non-magically, which would be great for your rogues and your fighters, but not anyone else. They are listed in some of the past editions. Um, in 3.5, which I thought was very interesting, they are described as clumsy swimmers. And they are actually not linked to the Abloth Empire in that one because of the swimming, and they actually prefer to live on land or shallow water. Very commonly, jungles and swamps. So they aren't really connected to the Abloth Empire but they are connected to mind flayers and beholders. So again, really any psychic influence that you can put over these guys, they will serve perfectly and brutally. So these are really fun to put into a campaign where you need just kind of ruthless enemy that is semi-intelligent, but cannot be reasoned with. So a couple of ideas for these guys. The first is you have a powerful humanoid whether you want to go with a mind flyer or if you just want to go with a high-level wizard, either one works. And they are impersonating an Abeloth in order to command the coals in the area. Now, all they're commanding them to do is to get loot from the towns. So it's really just a lot of raiding parties. This is a problem, of course, because now your party has to figure out where the cool's coming from. I said I was saying coals, wasn't I? I've already mixed it up. <laughs> um, we'll go back to coals just because I believe that's what I said. Your party now has to figure out where the coals are coming from and stop them at the source because they can't attack all of them. These guys have some resistances. They have dark vision. They can understand but not speak deep speech so they're not going to be able to communicate. And again, they can sense magic and also breathe under underwater. So your party can't just take them out. They have to find the source. Another scenario idea is your party can go on a treasure hunt. They can discover a map to a lost island that's supposed to contain a treasure hoard. But this island is actually a Aboleth holdover where the Coles have been storing treasure that they've continued to get. They've been robbing boats. They've been basically attacking pirates, ship fares, anyone on the ocean. These are not the clumsy swimmer version. This is the 5e version. <laughs> and they have been storing up treasure all this time. Your party can get there. They're going to be attacked there. And they may or may not even make it off the island. So that can be a really fun one if you want a nice kind of one-shot. That's the Treasure Island desk. But has a lot of high stakes that you have to deal with. Also for that one, because the coals are able to go on land and sea, there's no reason they can't have a holdout on the island itself. So just because your party gets out of the water doesn't mean the danger's gone. 
The last one leans a bit more into the 3.5 version of them living in the swamps. So you are traveling through or you could be from an area and a local swamp town is asking for your help because crab people are attacking. Play up every stereotype you want to when you describe them because I think it'd be really funny to think, oh, it's a backwater town. Obviously, it's just like a minor monster thing. They're just not dealing with it properly. No, no, no. Actual crab people are attacking. And in 3.5, the coals will take anything people are carrying. If they're not carrying anything interesting, they take the person's skull. So you have a lot of people showing up dead with no head because they'd taken the head off, got the skull, left. One aspect you can lay on top of that is you can have a local witch that is being accused of sending these people in or sending their crap people in. Obviously, the witch is not connected to them because she hasn't been hit yet and she's not powerful enough to control them. But you can definitely have that being kind of a red herring if you want to. Um, play that up as much as you want to or you can tone it down. Depends on how your party wants to do it. But that is three scenarios for the coals and or cools, however you want to say it. <laughs> I went back and forth so many times in that little bit, didn't I? The last monster is back to a good creature. <laughs> the last creature we're going to talk about today is the Kotals. C-O-U-A-T-L. The Kotals are benevolent serpentine beings of great intellect and insight. In the 5e manual, they are described as having celestial origins, um, being created by a god that has been long since forgotten by everyone but them. So they are kind of like the metallic dragons in the sense of how they act, but they are much more ancient and much more divine in nature. Like a lot of powerful good creatures, they're able to change their shape into any human order beast of their challenge rating. So there are some limitations, but the challenge rating is a four. So pretty much any human order creature is up for grabs. They are also, interesting left, immune to scrying, as well as any magic that would allow people to detect thoughts, sense emotion, or detect dislocation. So you can't just find them. There's no way to go, I'm going to scry for a cuddle in this area. No. You, you can't you can't do locate, locate person and then work on them. Can't do read thoughts. Can't do control emotions. None of that. So they have a lot of already psychic ability just because of protection. Now, like I said, they are celestial origins. They live for a long, long time, but they do eventually die. Because of their nature, they are able to sense when the end is coming. They just don't always know how. Now, they are given tasks by their deity that has long since passed, and they will accomplish those tasks. If a Kotal has already accomplished what it was meant to do, it will accept its death. It's not sticking around because it has to. It was given a purpose. It fulfilled it. It's ready to go. If it hasn't fulfilled that purpose and is know its time is coming, it'll actually seek out another Kotal for a mate to produce an offspring so that offspring can continue its mission. Um, it's described as... The mating ritual for the Kotals is described as beautiful and elaborate dance of magic and light, which results in a gem-like egg for which a new Kotal hatches. Now, I could not find anywhere in the books that I have that says how long it takes for it hatches. So that's one of the scenario ideas I had for it. But it does create something that's very interesting, very specific to Kotals, but looks dragon-like. So a couple of scenario ideas for them. One option is that you can come across a dying Kotal. 
Um, this could be a cuddle that is just at the end of its days. It wasn't even trying to make fulfill its mission. It knows that it's about to basically fail at what it's doing. So it's going to give the party something. It's going to try in its last days fulfill its quest. This can be MacGuffin. If you have something your party is going to be getting in the campaign. Or it could even be as simple as it has a sword that was supposed to give to the most worthy soul. Hasn't really found that one yet, so you guys are kind of its last resort. Depending upon where you're putting it in your campaign, how you're running this as a one-shot, you can decide how important that item that's being given is. But for the Codal, it is at least fulfilling its mission. Another option is a mundane human traveler, a humanoid at least, ask your party for protection on a journey. It's trying to go visit family, it'll say. It's trying to visit a loved one. Be very kind of cagey with it. And it is actually a disguised codal trying to go to meet a potential mate to produce an offspring. Now, one thing I forgot to mention, I just realized, is that the codals cannot lie. They can keep back information, and they will allow people to come to wrong conclusions if it serves their purpose, but they cannot outright lie. So this disguised codal can't lie, but it will be very cagey with what it says and what it allows the party to figure out. On its way there, if there's any danger that happens, a codal will not participate in the fight. Again, it's paying your party, so to speak, to be protection. If things get out of hand, it can transform to help out, but in doing so, it's going to reveal its location. While they can't be scried by magical means, there are ways of detecting magic in general, and that can be a ping for a powerful hunting party that's been tracking him. So if he does have to reveal himself, that means your party now has to speed up the pace because you need to get there so he can mate with someone so he can produce offspring. Now, he's not going to say what the task is, and I think that part is kind of irrelevant to the actual story. You can decide if you want to come up with a task for him or not, but I think really it's just he hasn't fulfilled his purpose. He needs to find a mate so he can do so. Um, this is inspired a little bit by The Witcher, by the way, the first season. It's minor plot line that's actually kind of irrelevant to the rest of the show, so I'm not worried about spoilers on that. The last encounter for the Kotal is your party encountering it in the dungeon. Again, Kotal's in disguise. It can be whatever best fits a dungeon. And it's trying to persuade the party somehow to leave. Not going towards cave center. Going back. Nothing's there for you. It's too dangerous. Whatever it, air quotes, can say to get the party to leave. So this Kotal is tasked with something that's kind of long-term. It is guarding a hero's tomb until something. You can decide if you want to put an end date on there that your party might be able to exploit, or if you want it could just be an endless task that needs to be fulfilling. This Kotal is going to try to talk them into going away. Um, it can't lie, of course, but it can be very persuasive, and it can allow them to pick up on the wrong clues. If you have a party that likes to nitpick at word choice, this is a really good option because you can get very specific with what you say and how you say it. Because again, they can allow people to come to wrong conclusions. That's on them. I didn't lie. If your party does decide to keep moving forward, though, they now have a fight in their hands. And again, challenge rating four is not the worst, but that's a mid-level party. If you have level one guys going in here, they're going to get slaughtered because this thing is very, very powerful. It has, at bare minimum, a bite attack with a plus 8 to hit and a constrict attack with a plus 6 to hit. So the odds are it's going to be able to do damage to your party. Now, they can run away. That's always an option. It's not going to stop them. 
but it might be kind of miffed at them afterwards. So that is some options for the codled. I encourage you to look at the artwork for it because it's actually very interesting to see. That is all the monsters for this episode. We have the Kohl's, or Kohl's, however you want to say it, <laughs> the Cambian, and the Kotals. Let me know how you would use these three monsters in your game. Um, if you do any of these scenarios or build off of them, or if you would do something completely different. And let me know what monsters you want me to look into for future episodes. There are a ton in the monster manual, and there are also a ton online, I'm aware. <laughs> So let me know if there's any you think you're underused, and I can see if I come up first and air ideas for that. Next episode, we'll be going over the letter D for the next chapter of Monster Manual, which gets a bit tricky, but we'll go into that next time. Until then, I will see y'all later. Hello. Bob Spuds here on the scene once again reporting for Potato Candy Network. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing on your podcasting app of choice. If you have a scenario prompt you want us to use, send it to us on social networking with Instagram and Facebook at Potato Candy Network. And if you really liked us, consider supporting us on Patreon for bonus content monthly, such as behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspirations, and future episode previews. Check out our brother show, Dreadful Tales, for some taut tension full truly terrifying tales of terror. <laughs> Got that on the first try, you know. And finally, please leave us a review, as it helps your recommendations and helps others find the hard work we do here at Potato Candy Network. Oh, and friendly reminder, if someone asks you if you're a god, don't think of marshmallows. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy. <laughs>